Welcome to Faith Fondue, a new podcast featuring author and speaker Haley DiMaria and teacher and blogger Ann Strickers. Faith Fondue will feature a melting pot of topics ignited by a flame, our faith, and guided by the Holy Spirit. Each week will feature a theme, and the theme for this week's episode is Lent, week four, almsgiving. Good morning, Anne. It's the week of March 14th, and we are talking about the third pillar of Lent as we cover covered prayer and fasting, and today we discuss almsgiving. Um, so according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, almsgiving is, quote, a work of justice pleasing to God. Uh, but to me, it's kind of a funny word. Uh, I always think of alms as palms or psalms, uh, maybe because they rhyme. Um, but of course, almsgiving is charity. It is giving to others um, and acts of service. So Anne, welcome. It's great to talk to you again. Hi, Haley. Yes, it's hard to believe this is episode 17. And I think when we were talking, you said, is it giving alms, alms, you know, how do we say it? I think, yeah, we give alms, right? Almsgiving. We yeah. talk Thank about almsgiving, but I guess we give the alms. Um, yes. I, maybe that's why I think it's such a funny word, because I'm not yeah. quite sure how to use it. <laughs> Right. We just, need to do, we just need to do it. Well, I always think of that noun, like we give thanks and then the noun is Thanksgiving or we give alms and the, and the noun is uh, almsgiving. And for some reason, this word always reminds me of alma, which is the Spanish word for soul. So I like to make that connection. But um, I looked, you know, did some research on the word and it's from the Greek and I won't even try to say it. Uh, but the word alms is Greek for compassion or pity. And that was an invitation just to think about the act or the giving of alms. Um, compassion resonates with my heart. Pity is always just a harder word. Like to pity someone, to me, seems like you've placed your, yourself above him or her. But I suppose there are times when it, it really is the appropriate word to have pity on something. Yeah, and maybe in the in the historical sense of the word it was it was compassion you know pity was compassion and maybe yeah. uh, as we've become more of a you know a hierarchical society or country that we live in that you know pity does become looking down with a negative connotation but yeah that's yeah. i would agree with you i would rather have compassion for someone than pity for someone yeah, <laughs> yeah. so um lots to pray with in terms of almsgiving and the act of doing it um so what's hot for you this week? What's, oh uh, my gosh. Right. Yeah. A lot going on this week. Well, this past week, you know, one of the hot topics that I know both you and I and uh, many people around the country and the world watched was the Prince Harry and Duchess Meghan uh, interview with Oprah. And, um, you know, it was interesting there. It, it was it is a hot topic. And there was a lot um, revealed and exposed and shared and questioned, um, you know, I'd like to think of, of the royal family as um, a family that uses their position of, of influence to, 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 to give alms, you know, to practice the, the art of almsgiving. They do, um, you know, claim and share and try to do that. Um, but, you know, they, they are a family and they, they clearly have all of the, the warts and bumps that, that all families have. So uh, that is definitely a hot topic with many differing differing. Uh, opinions on both sides, um, but certainly eye-opening, and um, you know, clearly they'll have to to really look at who they are and and who they want to be as a family. So that was last week. 
Um, you know, this coming week, of course, is St. Patrick's Day um, for I, who is, um, you know, on my year-long study of the saints, it is the feast day for St. Patrick. Um, you know, I, I think here in the United States, we forget that sometimes. Um, it is a feast day. It is a holy day. Um, and, you know, I remember being on campus one year, and, and this doesn't always happen at Notre Dame, um, you know, so often spring break is, is scheduled over, um, over St. Patrick's Day, so the students aren't on campus. But, you know, I remember our- We always thought that was intentional. Did you, that was like the- Oh, it was definitely that intentional. That was the belief. Yeah, yeah, no, it was for sure. And, you know, so intentional, I think that most um, classes, you know, I think it, it was scheduled so that every graduating class had one one St. Patrick's Day they were on campus, but the other three um, they were not. Um, but I remember very clearly, you know, the rector of our dorm, uh, Lyons Hall, Sister Kathleen Beatty, um, who you know is uh, um, Irish herself. She used to get so upset that there was so much partying going on during on St. Patrick's Day, and I remember her. Um, her demeanor and just the the real frustration and in, in sharing with me it is a reverent day to honor the patron saint mm. of ireland and um you know just really felt like it had been commercialized in a way that you know we tend to do with a lot of most christian holidays mm. um and you know but the irish like to party both in mm. ireland you know both the ireland irish and the fighting irish at notre dame um and you know i also think celebrating the saints is something we should do um you know they certainly have lived lives that we should should mimic and try to to model ourselves after um you know the saints in many ways um have practiced you know those good works of justice um their almsgiving we can certainly mirror but um you know we should celebrate the saints as well so i i'm not against a a good old-fashioned party where you're enjoying your neighbor and and maybe raising a glass to to celebrate our saints but um, it, it, it can probably be a little a controversial as well in terms of, of what happens on St. Patrick's Day. Well, I think you raised some really good points. And, uh, you know, in Ireland, it is a national holiday. And yes, it would be, it's not a B-list holiday here, at least in San Francisco. There are plenty of Irish Americans. And um, just thinking about it in a feast day versus, yeah, a day to drink green beer, to wear green, kiss me, I'm Irish right, is a very different experience. But, you know, growing up, I loved St. Patrick's Day. My grandparents are both from Ireland and I was in Irish dancing long before River Dance. So we would be in the St. Patrick's Day parade and it is just a day of celebration. And, and I think of culture and, um, you know, we're very proud. I'm very proud I'm Irish. I feel like that has meant many great things in my life. And um, so many Americans do claim Irish ancestry. So it's the one day everybody can be Irish and, um, and enjoy the spirit and the humor, I think, of the Irish people. We've talked about humor before. Um, but I've, I, when you were speaking, I thought, you know, I, I have St. Patrick to thank for essentially my Catholic faith. And he converted, you know, taught the Irish people using the shamrock, the Trinity, the three in one. And were it not for him, I don't, would we be Celts, you know, Celtic pagans? I don't know. And so, you know, my dad's side is Bavarian, so they're Catholic. It might've ended up okay. But yes, as a religious leader, his impact was incredible. And so, yes, maybe I'll take some time and, and think about my ancestors and their faith on March 17th. So thank you. Absolutely. As you're wearing your green and um, 
maybe raising a glass to, to toast him as well. <laughs> oh, you know it. And I, I think people who have a birthday on St. Patrick's Day, I envy those people. In fact, one of my friends who is Irish, he told his wife, if you have our child on St. Patrick's Day, I will give you a bonus. And, <laughs> and, and, and I, I imagine that bonus was like maybe a better piece of jewelry or I don't know how he, it's, he's such a character that it's just so, the story is just so appropriate. And of course she did, she had the baby on March 17th, which I think is the coolest thing ever. And I have friends whose parents met on St. Patrick's Day. You know, I love all of that stuff. So um, yes, March 17th is a day. It's on, It's definitely on my calendar. I'm having my golf team wear green that day. I've already told them for practice. And um, I look forward to, you know, like I said, everyone can be Irish on St. Patrick's Day. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that definitely is something to celebrate. Um, but, you know, this year it's an interesting holiday because it marks... Um, you know, kind of a, 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 a tough memory from last year around this time. Um, you know, at least here in Maryland, our governor shut down pretty much everything. Um, we went into shelter in place, you know, the 5 p.m. the night before um, yeah. St. Patrick's Day. And, um, you know, we have good friends who have owned an owned a Irish bar and restaurant for 25 years. And St. Patrick's Day is their biggest day of the year, um, you know, not only financially, but just from a community standpoint. And they plan it for weeks. And, you know, by March 16th last year, they had invested in it financially with alcohol and food. And we're expecting the massive crowd that they normally get. And, um, you know, that it was crickets the next day. And, um, you know, that was a real blow to, to them and the community to not have what is a celebration and a time for, you know, community and celebration. Um, so that was an interesting St. Patrick's day last year. I know for many people. Agreed. And I, we were a couple of days ahead of you, um, in terms of the shutdown. And I remember, I think it probably was the 12th of March. Um, I was on West portal, the street in San Francisco and was with a friend and we ran into her friend. And this woman is actually the sister of my friend. And she said, you know, they won't take my holiday away from me. And, um, they did, I mean, not, they did, you know, the virus did, I don't know, but you know, she just, it, it spoke to how much she loved St. Patrick's day. Um, and, Truth be told, this um, this woman died in November and it wasn't COVID related. But I always think of like, that is like my final encounter with her, like her love of St. Patrick's Day. And, you know, I, I believe she's with God in heaven and, and hopefully enjoying her holiday with St. Patrick himself this year. So God bless her. And, you know, just a stark memory, but it's kind of a tender, sweet insight, you know, like that. Like this day means something to people. Like yes. I said, I mean, I kind of dismiss, oh, my ancestors and would I be pagan, but it really means something for people, whether it's memories, connection with family, um, whether it's, yeah, celebrations or even just an acknowledgement of the faith that we have. Um, it is a day to, to honor and celebrate in whatever way you can. So, right. So if we were talking about March holidays, this would be, this would not be B list. Um, no, no, this no. is, this no, is, this you. is legit. It's a real one. <laughs> Um, but, you know, thinking of Ireland and um, our theme of almsgiving, um, Mother Teresa, I think she's just this example of almsgiving personified. But I don't know if people know when she early in religious life, 
um, her community sent her to Ireland and that's where she learned English. Oh, wow. And so she was in Ireland for many years as a religious sister, you know, she left that community and then started the missionaries of charity, but, um, she too has a connection to Ireland and I would love to learn a little bit more about that, but I was teaching about her this week because, um, there's a program called sidewalk talk and it started in San Francisco and basically it's a ministry and it costs nothing for setup or promotion or participation, um, other than time. And the ministry is people, oftentimes many of them are counselors, but they simply just ask people on the street, do you want to be heard? And so they offer listening. And I say this in relationship to Mother Teresa because originally when the missionaries, somebody in the US, they wanted the missionaries of charity to come to the United States. And she said, we can't, your poverty is too great. And the person was like, wait, what? Like you're, you're, you're in Calcutta. Like we don't have Calcutta in the United States. We have, you know, a welfare system. We have safety nets. We have all these different structures. Um, but she said, no, your poverty is loneliness. And I can't, I can't just cure that right away. And that was a stark and a revealing insight because she's right. You can feed somebody, you can give them shelter, you can hold a dying person, but can you cure loneliness? And, you know, one of the biggest cures for loneliness is just allowing a person to feel heard or understood or let them work through their feelings. So I thought the sidewalk talk was a great ministry and it's throughout the world. Now the woman who started it and they just offer to listen to people. And she said, the founder said, you know, you, sometimes it's even easier to tell a stranger your problems than it is a close friend. You know, part of it is just the feelings like we need to acknowledge them and, and sit with them and let them run like a cloud kind of through our, our psyche or whatever. Right. And so I just thought, what a great um, gift and a way to give alms, a different way of giving alms is to, you know, literally be there for someone or just to listen to them and help them feel heard. Well, and I love that because I think some people, when they hear almsgiving, they think, well, I don't have, um, you know, I don't have money to give, or I, um, you know, don't have opportunities to, to, you know, do actually acts of service. Um, but listening, we can all listen. Um, you know, we can all minister to the lonely in that way. And, and sometimes loneliness isn't somebody, you know, that you don't, it's somebody you don't know, you know, there, we probably all have people in our lives who are lonely and, mm -hmm. um, could use someone to listen to them. Um, and, and that too is, is almsgiving. It doesn't have to be grandiose. We don't have to all be mother Teresa in the scope of what she's doing. It could be simple, something simple as picking up a phone and, calling someone, you know, is lonely and, and just need someone to listen to. So I love that. Um, you know, I'm such a big mother Teresa fan. Um, yeah. and, and, and these are reasons why, because even in the massive global scope of the work that she did, she gives us very, um, real, um, examples of, of simple things that are extremely meaningful that we can do. Yeah. You know, and, um, part of teaching about this was just when you write, when we think of people who are lonely, we often think of elderly people, but some of the studies have indicated about young people and, you know, we could talk a lot about the effects of social media, but that, you know, in a sense, social media can actually isolate people and that a lot of young people are lonely. And I read this post by a former colleague and just marking this anniversary of COVID, he had to tell the students that their Kairos retreat was on hold. 
And just the memory of that. And he said, you know, I'd like to acknowledge that some of the real heroes of this pandemic have been young people and just young people who maybe have felt really lonely or disconnected and haven't complained, you know, who haven't, who've been on heard and still done the good work. It was so moving to hear that. So I thank Justin for this. He's such a great teacher, some insights like that. Yeah. And that's a great um, note for me to make for future podcasts. You know, we could spend a number of weeks, you know, maybe once we get through the Easter season and get back into ordinary time talking about the pandemic and the lessons that we've learned. And, you know, once we've been kind of over a year later um, with uh, an end or at least a, a light at the end in sight, I don't know if it the end is in sight, but we're getting there. So um, that would be a great topic, I know, for us to explore later. Um, well, Anne, you had uh, an interesting lunch this week that I really enjoyed reading about um, on your blog and would love to hear more about. So uh, who did you have lunch with this week? Yeah, so I had lunch with Miss Serena Williams, and she's the uh, she was the University of San Francisco. They have a speaker series called the Silk Speaker Series. She was their guest. It was in a virtual setting. It was at 12 noon. So I literally, you know, turned on my computer and heard one of my favorite athletes speak. And I was talking about this in with my students, you know, there are over like 500 biographies written about Abraham Lincoln. And I said, you know, why do people continue to write about Abraham Lincoln, right? We, haven't we exhausted everything? And yet people decide to write about Abraham Lincoln because they feel like they have something to say. And I have taught and read a ton about Serena Williams. I'm not going to say I'm the world's leading expert, but I have certainly, I feel like I know her. And I sat down at this interview and you still learn new things. And, you know, just a couple of insights. I think for one, one thing people don't know about her, I think she's really funny. And it's because she kind of has this humor that's real deadpan and you might miss it. She has a great eye roll. Like she just laughs at her daughter or herself. And <laughs> I just, I want people to know that, that she's funny. Um, and then she just talked about what motivates her. And when the question was asked, I thought she dismissed it at first. She's like, I guess what motivates me is love. And I was like, okay, and I'm thinking, you know, this is a woman who is one title shy of tying for the all time record with Margaret Smith court. She has 23 grand slam wins. She's the winningest player in the open era. I just thought it would be to be the best of all time and just end the conversation. But she said it's love because she loves the game. She loves competition. She's like, what motivates me is love. And I thought, thank you, Serena. What a great insight. You know, it's so simple, but that's so true. So I wish her well. Um, I think the interview might be available. It's not the best interview, but it was just fun to engage with, you know, one of my favorite athletes at a lunch hour and see where it would go. And, um, you know, she's talks that she would like to have a second child, you know, sibling for her daughter, Olympia. And um, she also wants to be the greatest of all time. So I just think about, she didn't address it, but I think about in her life, like, She's 38 and she has choices to make because she knows the clock is ticking, not on her pregnancy. That's not what I want to talk about. But in terms of like her athleticism, like these athletes, tennis, you know, is so demanding. As you know, you have a cousin who's on the tour and they, you know, what you can do at 38 is dramatically different than what she was doing at 18. So if she wants those titles, 
else, it's she knows the window is tight, and then pregnancy would keep her out for a little bit of time. Um, she almost died in her last pregnancy. She has a tendency towards blood clots, so it's something I think. Hopefully, she talks to her daughter about and her husband, obviously. But I'll be a you know I'll support her in whatever way. I just I want to acknowledge that, like many of us, she's she has tough decisions to make. So I wish her only the best. Yeah, I do too. And I, you know, it's just a reminder, you know, as we're talking about loneliness, um, you know, that's a very lonely place to be. There is really no one else who understands what position she's in. And, you know, yes, we think of her as, wow, you know, she's an amazing tennis player. She is the greatest of all time, you know, in so many different ways. And, you know, she has this remarkable life that we see on the outside but that doesn't mean there's not loneliness there. There doesn't mean that yeah. there's not, um, you know, the, the the wants that she has that she might not be able to attain like we all do, um, whether it's a second child or, um, you know, something in her career. So, um, you know, it's a good reminder that even people who seem to have it all or, you know, are the, the goats, the greatest of all time, um, you know, there, there's probably loneliness there as well um, in, in different ways. Um, than, yeah. than we might well, I wish you had interviewed her, Haley, because I think that's a great question. <laughs> I do. And, you know, I, I, you know, like I said, I'm not an authority, but I know how she would answer it. I mean, she has Venus, who is essentially like her twin. They're 15 months apart. True, true. And I think that I think that's abated the loneliness because tennis can be very isolating as a sport. And, you know, that was that's part of their connection and understanding is that they understand the other person. But she, her daughter is over two years old now. And she said, oh, I wanted them to be close in age, just like I was to my sister. And I've kind of missed that little window. Um, so, you know, that's why when I read the article, I thought, oh, this is an imminent decision. This isn't something that she's like, you know, putting off for another two years to see if I can close in on that title. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, no, no, she no. always keeps us guessing. Yeah, stay mm-hmm. tuned for sure. And I, uh, you know, it's interesting, Anne, I saw, um, I don't have the TV on much at my house, but there was, there was some basketball I wanted to watch this week. And I saw an ad for the, um, the players championship that is happening actually right now, which is amazing that you are, um, willing to tape this podcast with me at a time when there's golf being played. (laughs) So thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but I always think of you when I see golf and especially these, um, you know, these, these major tournaments and one, I'm thrilled they're playing. For all the golf fans out there, I know everyone's happy to have golf uh, back on TV. Um, but you know, too, do you plan on watching it this weekend? What do you have going on for the the? Oh, yeah. Is it no, the no, TPC? I, mean, I think is that the correct how you call it? TPC. Well, TPC Players Championship. Yeah, very good, and they okay. sponsor some other. Okay. Um, I don't totally understand that structure. That would be a good question, um, as opposed to the. PGA or the USGA, so many acronyms in sports, but so many other things in sports. I was thinking, you know, this tournament is known as the fifth major. So it's a high profile, popular tournament. It's known for the 17th hole for people who don't know anything about golf. There's this hole and the pin is on the island. So it's very dramatic and it makes it really fun to watch. Um, but they, you know, the fifth major, I use that term. Everybody uses that term. And I thought about that in sports. So you were talking about basketball, Haley, like, in basketball, they have the sixth man or in football, you know, or sixth person, I should say, because you could be the sixth woman um, the, in football, the 12th uh, man, this, this idea, this concept that exists in sports where you have the team, you have the structure, but there's that 
extra one. And um, I don't know if that's our, you know, desire for excess or just, you know, way to be included. It's just a fun play on words or concepts in sports. And Jim Martin, the Jesuit priest said, you know, when you go to Jerusalem, it's like the Holy Land, excuse me, it's reading the fifth gospel. So I had some fun just kind of playing with those ideas and thinking, huh, I wonder if there's a fourth person of the Trinity. And, um, you know, God is infinitely creative. So I have a feeling you know, the Lord would like that question. Um, I don't know. Yeah, no, absolutely. And as we get to, I'm not our... trying to be irreverent. I'm just trying to be playful. Yeah, so. no, not at all. And <laughs> as... know, I don't. Please don't take it as blasphemy. <laughs> nope. And I think, um, you know, as we get to our takeaways, I might bring that up again. But I love that question because you do. You know, it's kind of a catchphrase: fifth major, sixth man, twelfth yes. man. Um, you know, the the Seattle Seahawks have kind of sure. branded the twelfth man. Um, exactly. But those are great. Those are great thoughts, especially with the Trinity as we move into our spiritual stew. And, you know, keeping with the sports theme that we love to always bring in and pop up, um, you know, my my thoughts this week in, in spiritual stew is not necessarily a gospel or a biblical reading, but it was a quote that I came across um, that's really stuck with me this week, especially knowing that we were going to talk about almsgiving. Um, and that is, um, you know, it's, it's a quote from Muhammad Ali. And um, you know, he, he has said service to others is the rent you pay for your room here on earth. Um, and I love that for so many reasons. One talking about almsgiving service to others. Um, you know, that's, that's just clearly fundamental to this quote and to Muhammad Ali as well. But, you know, is the rent you pay for your room here on earth? So rent is temporary. That's not something you buy. It's not something that you're here forever. And, um, you know, really our time here on earth is temporary. And, um, you know, I, I think it speaks to that as well. You know, the service to others is the rent you pay for your room here on earth. So we are here on earth um, temporarily, and we are called to serve others while we are here um, so that when we get to that place of permanence, um, we can uh, move forward. Awesome. And, uh, you know, I love thinking it's hard for me sometimes to think about eternal life or the next life. So thinking of it in this way, I think is, um, just an, it's, what am I trying to say? It's, um, it's just a beautiful image to think about. So thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. And I'm not sure what happened with our technical glitch there, but we will either try to edit that out or, uh, that ding you just acknowledging that your screen. Green froze that we, uh, for our listeners, uh, Haley and I meet before our session. And so I, ha- I knew uh, I had a sense of what you might say <laughs> about um, that quote in our spiritual stew. Yeah. So. so that ding you just heard was me texting Anne saying, hmm, we might have to have Edward edit that out. Um, so we, we will work on that. Not sure what happened there, but. And we'll, we'll post that quote into our Twitter feed. Oh, for so. sure. That's a great, that's a great yeah. thought. So that's, that was, that's what I've been pondering this week. Um, those words, the, the gospel, according to Ali, which I'm sure I shouldn't say, but, um, I don't, oh, I like it. No, <laughs> I, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and I think about his own faith journey a little bit, right. I, I imagine he was raised Christian and, um, obviously became Muslim and, um, that would be interesting to learn a little bit more about that, um, as well. Um, but for my piece of the stew, um, what's cooking for me, uh, again, teaching this week about the corporal works of mercy and how linked they are to almsgiving. So it's Matthew 25. I always think there's a couple of passages of scripture people should memorize. This is certainly one of them. 
you know, where Jesus teaches about clothing the naked, feeding the hungry, giving, you know, drink to the thirsty. And what a privilege to be able to teach about that. But, you know, one piece that I was able to add for my students this week is, you know, the question at the end is, you know, when, Lord, did we see you ill or in prison and visit you? And, um, you know, he does this in a parable, so it's not Lord, but the king, he uses this other image. And he says, you know, amen, I say to you, whatever you did for one of these least brothers of mine, you did for me. And one thing that's really important for people to know in that time is that if you were wealthy or rich, you were blessed by God. If you were therefore poor or marginalized, you were, right? You had done something to offend God or had, you know, Just broken that relationship. Really. Correct. Right. So Jesus is shifting the paradigm. He's saying, no, like, in fact, when you've done that for the least of us, you have done that for me. So he's changing the teaching. Um, and I think that's important to carry that perspective into, um, right. Our understanding of scripture. And obviously we're called to do the same. So, yeah, no, that's actually interesting. Cause I am familiar with that shift, but I've ever, never actually thought of it in those terms. Um, yeah, Jesus was, what a shock that must've been for, you know, people in, in biblical times to hear Jesus speak about the poor when they have, they had, um, you know, just been trained to believe such a fundamental difference between the poor and the wealthy. Exactly. Yes. And I think that's the word like shock. It is, it must've been shocking and that might be lost on us. We're like, yeah, yeah, I know. But it's also like, no, no, this is a norm and a and belief that's widely understood. And here comes this teacher who's changing the, what I've known to be true. And right. um, if I'm poor, I'm, I'm like, thank you. Thank you. Cause what have I done, Lord? Why, you know, in script, what, the Lord hears the cry of the poor, like, thank God, you know, and, um, that's, you know, what we're called to do when we give alms. So we are. And I love, I love that quote. The Lord hears the cry of the poor. I, I won't sing it for you, but, um, that's, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful song. <laughs> it is. It's not one of my favorite singing Psalms. It's, it is a, I think it's, I enjoy praying with it, but like, I don't know when I hear it, I'm like, here we go, <laughs> which is terrible, but being honest. Okay. That's so. the cradle Catholic in you, you know, for those of us who are newer to the faith, um, we yeah. still enjoy it. So give me a few more yeah. years. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. But you know, what great takeaways for us as we move, um, you know, into this extraordinary week, you know, we are a year into this pandemic and, um, in a year into the shutdown and, um, you know, thank you, Anne, for for taping this this podcast early with me. Um, I'm actually traveling this weekend. I am fully vaccinated, um, but we'll of course take all the precautions. I'll be in South Bend. Um, I'm going to visit my coach. I know we've mentioned Tim on the podcast some before. Um, Anne and I spend uh, Sunday mornings in Mass with Tim, praying for Tim. Um, he is battling pancreatic cancer, and um, you know, unfortunately, his wife Jackie is battling her own health health crisis mm -hmm. right now too. Um, so I'm planning to just spend some time with them um, and with my parents um, and, of course, with my son who's in school there, James, um, but really there to, to help Tim and Jackie and to, you know, make and freeze food and walk their dog. And it's interesting as we were talking about, um, you know, this week and, and almsgiving, um, you know, 
because do you know I do I see this as service to others? You know, we're on spring break next week, and someone asked me what I was doing, and when I told them, they kind of gave me a funny look, like, why would you spend your spring break, first of all, going to South Bend, to you know, yeah, help you know, doing that, um, and you know, it balmy South Bend, yeah, warm and balmy, right? Exactly. <laughs> the exotic, yes. Yeah, I'm spring probably. Break probably the only one going to the snow for spring break that's not going skiing. Um, but it's, to mm. me, it, it's just, you know, I, I have to, I'm called to, um, you know, when, when someone's given you so much in your life, you, you, you just, you feel obligated to, but it's not even an obligation. It's a privilege to, to give back and help yeah. them. And so I don't necessarily know if I see this as service to others, um, you know, as Muhammad yeah. Ali states or a work of justice pleasing mm. to God as the catechism states. Um, yeah. I think it's just who we're called to be as, as, as Christians or, or even, you know, just a good person. Um, you know, it's sort of, you know, it's returning the love, um, and the care that's been extended to me. So I'm excited to get there. Um, and, and hopefully, um, you know, just, just make a difference in a small way that I can. Well, you know, Haley, that is an invitation for all of us to think like you are saying, this is not a big deal. This is who I am. This is what we do. And I, part of me is thinking, yeah, at the heart of the Christian life, um, that is like, it, 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 there shouldn't be any differentiation. I do it because I'm Christian. I do it because it's the right thing. And if those things go hand in hand, and the truth of the matter is, I think Jesus had to teach about it because not everybody does do that or feels that way. And um, I was telling my own students, um, maybe 15 years ago, I had a student who was hit by a car and I didn't really know her that well. It was probably six weeks into the school year. She was kind of a difficult personality, tough to read. And my colleague said, hey, we're going to go visit um, this young, I, I want to go visit her in the hospital. My colleague didn't even teach her Haley. And I was like, it's Friday afternoon. I don't want to go. I was kind of just like, I don't want to go. It's just out of my, it's just out of my way. And it's like, what difference does that make? Um, I am so grateful to my colleague who taught me to do that because I, it was the right thing to do. Did I feel better? I don't remember, but it doesn't even matter. It's the right thing to do. It is an act of love to visit somebody. And I would do that with another teacher in the future because of that example. So I know you are very close to this family and you would do that. And then, you know, Jesus always points out, and I'm not, I think it's, I think it's remarkable that you're willing to spend your week. And the reminder of when people aren't easy or, you know, is that you have the ability because you do it for people that you love, and then it might stretch us when we don't want to do it. So Thank you for sharing that example. Well, and I love, you know, real quick, what you shared about Jesus, Jesus preached about, you know, reaching out to the poor and, and, you know, giving alms and doing works of, of charity because people weren't doing it. You're right. He wouldn't need to preach that and teach us that if we were already doing it. Um, so clearly we, we all still have lessons to learn as well. But I think that's, you know, that is the kingdom of God when, when we do it, because, you know, we know we should, and we want to, and we have hearts full and all of it. So that's, I think that's the goal um, that we get there. Right. And we have a society where people are willing to do that. So it thank is. you for that takeaway. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you. And you know, the goal this week is also to celebrate, 
your heritage. I will be Irish on St. Patrick's Day, so thank you for allowing me to do that and, and celebrate that with you. Um, you know, I'll probably do a little more reading about St. Patrick, so I do, you know, have that knowledge as I, as I continue my study of the saints this year. Um, and, and we'll really keep in mind almsgiving and, and ways that I can give alms, even if it is just listening. Um, I loved that you shared that. So thank you. Thanks. And I look forward to your report from campus. I'm curious, you know, maybe you'll go in with eyes to see how it is a feast day. I don't know. Maybe you'll be at mass at the Basilica or I don't know if there'll be any special, special acknowledgement of it as a feast day <laughs> other than the cultural celebration, which I'm sure will happen. And I'm, I'm also curious to hear how you will see Lent and that giving of alms opportunities for your students to give alms. I do remember one of my roommates saying, cause the, you know, it's institutionally Catholic. So on Fridays during Lent, the cafeteria, the dining hall didn't serve meat. And one of my roommates and I, you know, she was being difficult, but she was right. She's like, well, if, if we're not making a sacrifice, if, you know, if it's not even a choice, how are we making a sacrifice? And I understand what she was saying, but it's an interesting, you know, so yes, you're right, Megan. Um, yeah, there's no sacrifice in that sense, but to think about an institution as Catholic is, you know, what a gift. I mean, that's who we are. Therefore, this is what we do. And so Notre Dame's making that statement. Um, that's true at, at St. Francis, where I work now. We do not, we have meatless Fridays because we are a Catholic institution. Um, I would, I guess now I would say to Megan, okay, so find other ways to make a sacrifice on Friday since you're not having to sacrifice eating meat in the dining hall. So what's another way you can <laughs> make, that, <laughs> make that challenge, so to speak. So, so I love that. I, and I love that she um, wants to continue to challenge herself because of course I'm thinking that just makes it easier. Um, but of course that's not the point. True. Yeah. So well, safe travels. Thank you. And, I look forward um, to reporting yeah. back and um, sharing and again, our conversation again next week. Thanks so much. Thank you.